Hey everybody, welcome back to Positively Midwest. This is episode 14 and uh, pretty excited getting a lot of these taken care of now that we're in the old COVID quarantine um, in some areas, if you will, but my job allows me to do a little bit of that. So um, I'm pretty excited to talk to uh, to this guy. This is Wayne Hintz. He's with us today. And Wayne, you want to say hi to everybody? Hi, everybody. <laughs> Perfect. So Wayne, uh, his uh, professional or... Uh, I don't know what you want to call the title is lecturer, but you are a professor currently um, at SDSU, correct? Correct. Yep. I teach for the College of Nursing at SDSU on the Sioux Falls campus. Awesome. So um, why don't you, if you want to give us a little brief history, if you will, about um, obviously you're from, well, not obviously, but you're from Castlewood where I went to high school and I graduated with your brother, John, and yep. that's kind of how we know each other. But um we talked a little bit before we started, um, and uh, just to get a little lowdown, but uh, give us a little bit of your uh, Wayne hints in a nutshell, maybe. Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> so, honestly, I'm honored to be able to be on this podcast. I know you've had a lot of uh, a lot of uh, important guests on here, so it uh, it is humbling to to be able to talk to you about some of the things that I've went through and some of the things that I've overcome in my life. So I know that this is a positive men, ca- uh, positive podcast, and I really want to, you know, really want to end on that note as well. So um, like we were talking earlier, uh, to get kind of a start of where I came from, I mean, we can go back into elementary school. We can go back into my days in Castwood, and I think that's probably where I'll start is in Castwood because yeah. um, that's really where I started developing as the person I know um, today and how I feel today. So. Um, so basically in Castlewood, we moved from Sisbin, uh, which in that mindset, it's a, it's a completely different environment, um, a little larger school to a smaller school, not to mention a smaller town where I didn't know anybody. So you take me out of that whole environment and you immerse me in a bunch of new people where I didn't really know. Um, and again, we talked earlier again too about, um, about my parents and they're, they're great people and they did the best they can. I think everybody's parents did the best they can. Um, but I, again, I just, I felt like there, I was missing something from them. I was reaching for something that I wanted to better myself or better my life in some way, shape or form, whether that was through education or experience, I really didn't know what was coming. Do you, so I really, Oh, sorry. Oh, I, was, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to ask quick, do you think, cause it made me think for a second where my drive comes from when, when you talk about that and what really triggered it was I moved here from. Um, I'm from Watertown, but we moved here from Rapid City when I was 14, and like a lot of the guys were really, there's a lot of animosity when I first moved here, but it gives you a, a different kind of drive to push towards, um, you know, like I think you want to talk about your childhood because it, it helps uh, give an idea of where what drove you to who you want to be and who you are today. Um, so like when you move from Sisseton to here, that, that story kind of gives you this, uh, you know, a directive does that does that sound like this the right word maybe yeah a sense of direction almost there uh, a push yes thank you <laughs> continue sorry yeah that's okay um so even going back to um elementary school um so on, honestly i think i struggled in elementary school and junior high um in system i had a lot of good friends you know i got into some trouble um and i think that was one of the reasons why we moved to castlewood versus Watertown or something like that, smaller school, um, try to kind of get us out of that, um, not necessarily troubled mentality, but just, um, 
the opportunity for trouble was less than the smaller town, if that makes any sense. Um, but I'm sure Joel Mack will have different opinions on that um, from high school. But anyway, <laughs> um, I digress. So back back in uh, elementary school, I, I'm pretty sure, knowing what I know now, I, I dealt with a lot of uh, probably some hyperactivity or um, ADHD, some attention deficit disorder, because I couldn't focus. And I still struggle with that today, and I realize that, but it actually helps me become a better learner because I understand it now. But back in those days, I didn't really understand it. And that kind of may have led into some of the feelings that my parents really weren't able to guide me in my educational journey or my life journey because I really didn't get it. So I think that's kind of how, when they were faced with me not understanding a math problem or not understanding my homework that I'm bringing home, um, it, it developed a, kind of a wedge between us where we didn't talk about homework because I didn't want to feel like I didn't know what I was doing or that it was inadequate, you know, compared to my peers. And then my parents didn't really know how to deal with somebody that had problems. So they just kind of washed it under the bridge and just said, oh, he'll, he'll learn, you know. So I think that kind of set me up for um, once I graduated high school and then I started in the uh, I went to Army basic training um, my senior. It would have been the fall of 94. So I know it's dating me a lot. <laughs> I have to kind of talk about that history in order to get the, uh, the picture correct. So, yeah. Did, um, did so, they have um, back at that time frame? Did they have um, counselors or nurses or anything that that would try to diagnose that maybe you had that? that little bit of ADHD or were they using any prescription drugs at that time frame that you know of even? You know, it, uh, m mental health has changed a lot, obviously in the last decade to be, to be honest. I mean, just, yeah, even in the last decade, things have changed remarkably. Um, and the stigma behind mental illness has been greatly removed. Um, however, people still struggle with it and people still uh, fail to seek out help because of that stigma. But, Back in those days, I don't believe it was as prominent as it is now with testing or just the fact that, you know, it didn't really seem like anybody was really keeping an eye on me. You know what I mean? Um, the term latchkey kids has been brought up in many types of different studies and different um, discussions, but the, the term latchkey really stands for, you know, you, you basically come and go as you please. Um, Mom and dad both worked, so they weren't, weren't home as often as they could have been or you know, wanted to be, but we basically tried to fend for ourselves, so to speak. So that kind of led to that, almost that self-dependence. Yeah. I know what that's all about. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but I mean, and then going forward, um, you're, you're right. You're, I don't believe that there were a whole lot of resources that were available back then. Um, and I think the, the fact that it's being more, it's being brought into the limelight a little bit more now that people are identifying it quicker so that people that are identified earlier can get treatment to help them live a more productive life. Okay. Do you, um, can I ask, do you have any prescription medication for specifically for that now that, that you find helps you or have you just learned to kind of change your mindset a little bit with, with that specifically? Well, I can talk about that. Um, so it took me a while to realize and my wife will be the first one that tells you I'm right with this statement. But it took me to realize, a while to realize that while I was maintaining some sort of normalcy, 
I could be better if I had some medication to help. So again, I being the self-structured, self-dependent person that I am, I don't want to take help from anybody. And if I take a medication to help me, to help me focus or to help me be better at what I'm doing, then I don't, I don't want that because I want to be able to depend, depend on myself versus something pharmaceutically to alter my mind. Um, but it, it took my wife actually going to an appointment with me before I said, okay, yes, I think I can probably benefit from something. So to say that she was my saving grace in that aspect, she certainly was. Um, but yeah, I do take a medication that which actually helps me to focus. And I had have done some occupational um, therapy um, to help me to focus on things that I, if I find something boring, if I'm reading a book and I find it not interesting, but I have to read it, I have to set a timer on my watch in order to reinterrupt my thoughts because they'll wander everywhere um, because it's not important. So then that timer helps me to realize, okay, I'm getting off track. My timer just went off. It's been three minutes. Now it's time to get back and start reading again and start absorbing that material. Um, so it's been a long time since I've had to use that, mostly with uh, studying for my undergraduate work because it, it's monotonous. It's not exciting stuff, but it's necessary. Um, so that actually helps me a lot in my uh, professional career as well as my educational career to kind of um, get on track and learn things. Um, and once I started taking the medication, it, it actually kind of opened my eyes to, I didn't realize I could, you know, be this focused and be this this available to absorb this information, but now I can. So it really was a saving grace as far as helping me to not necessarily edge anybody out, but just to help me reach my my peak as far as education and and remembering things and being able to recall information. So, thanks. Yeah, that's really uh, enlightening for me because I know as I've gone through, well, I still do go to therapy every week and all that stuff. Just because I think that's awesome. But if uh, I've been on antidepressants in my early twenties and stuff, and it just I just wanted to throw all that stuff away and try to find a, a place where I could just, um, like you said, kind of handle it on my own and take my take the reins, you know, and and just learn how to change my mindset, which I think I'm doing a lot better that the last, you know, couple few years, but you still have that time frame where you, um, you know, everybody has a bad day, but I think someone who has even a small percentage of mental illness, if that's what we call it, that, mm -hmm. you know, if, if I have a bad day, it might be just a teeny bit worse than someone, you know, who's generally always positive or has never really dealt with, you know, a lot of depression, if that, that kind of makes sense. I think it really depends on your perception mm -hmm. of, of, of what's going on. Um, you know, we talk a lot about, um, again, I'm, I'm going to refer to the VA and we talk about suicide, especially within the veteran population as a high priority because um, 22 veterans, and I think they might've updated it now to 21 or 23. I don't remember which, but um, an average of 22 veterans per day take their lives. And that's substantial to the fact that they've dealt with a lot and they've had those mechanisms to, to be resilient. And even after all that resiliency training, even after all of those things that we give to people to help support them, they still decide that the, to end their life is, is a better, a better outcome than what they're currently dealing with. So that's kind of the, the struggle that, that we have is recognizing that even though you're suffering, may feel worse than the guy next to you, 
they may be dealing with much more, but they're able to be resilient and able to initiate tools to help them manage better. So I think we, I think the message that I wanted to send is basically everybody's struggling and you don't know what they're struggling with. So it's important to understand that no matter who you look to, no matter who you turn to, look them in the eye, they're struggling with something and their struggle is just as bad or if not worse than what you're dealing with. So um, it's kind of important to make sure that we're treating people with that, that mentality that everybody is struggling with something. So you can have, you can have an option of being a jerk or you can make an impact in their life. That's beautiful. I like that. Hence why we're trying to get this little podcast and Facebook group rocking and rolling. Cause I was just sick of, you know, every so often looking at Facebook and you'd see, you know, um, post after post of political rants or arguments or just people just flat out being mean and negative to each other. And I thought, well, if we get as many people as we can to join the group, then they'll start seeing this in their news feed instead. So, yeah, um, it, it's sad that the world has been become this state of discontent that, that if your opinion differs from somebody else, you're a bad person. Um, I, I firmly believe that you can believe whatever you believe. And I'm not one to say that you're right or wrong. I'm just going to tell you, well, I, this is how I feel. This is how my difference, this is how my opinion differs from yours. We can both be wrong, you know, but we have to be able to accept others, other people's opinions. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to enjoy it, but it's important to recognize it and at least be able to understand their point of view. Yeah. And if you're, you know, that kind of cliche, if you're, if you're not hurting anybody, then, um, you know, I guess really it's, you're probably doing it. Okay. <laughs> right. So, um, so we were talking about, you went into uh, basic training and which I think kicks off into a, a part of your life where we start to, um, enter the world of some of that, um, mental illness, if you will, that you come across yourself and, and things like that. If you want to touch on that for us. Yeah. I, I, you know, earlier we were talking about uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, I have post-traumatic stress disorder, and I'll kind of explain, you know, what that means to me. Uh, everybody has a post-traumatic stress disorder, um, or anybody with that deals with post-traumatic stress um, has their own trigger or own event that, or a series of events that kind of lead up to that. Um, not necessarily diagnosis, but that 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 feeling of helplessness. And in order to get there, I'm, you know, I have to go back to basic training because. Um, like we were saying earlier, um, I don't do anything half-hearted. I jump into it. So I use the analogy that I jump in the pool and then learn how to swim um, after the fact that I'm in the pool. So it helps me to immerse myself in that, um, basically immersion therapy, where I jump head headstrong in and I have to figure my way out to survive. And I think that kind of drove me through the whole um, whole basic training. I learned that. And then through my medical training, um, and again, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I got out of high school because I wasn't a good student. So I think the, that medical training kind of set the stage for me later in, later in life. Needless to say, I didn't realize it at that point, um, but it really truly did have an impact on me, not to the point where I recognized it immediately, but um, ultimately it did lead me down to the path that I am at now. So, And then um, basically after basic training, they teach you all these wonderful skills to survive in the world, uh, teach you some leadership. And then you come home because I was in the National Guard and I didn't have a job. I wasn't going to college. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, so obviously I worked in the factory for a while and 
and I enjoyed that. And I did some other things. I managed the, the GNC store in the Watertown Mall. Um, <clears throat> to my highlights, obviously. Um, <laughs> I worked for Premier Bank Card. Um, that was probably the last job that I had before I went to Iraq. Iraq was my first deployment um, in 2003 through 2005. Um, so that deployment, um, it was a, it was a difficult time. There's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of bad things that were happening with either within the country, as well as, um, the fighting that was happening within the country. So there was a lot of political and there's a lot of military things that were happening within that country. We basically referred to it as the wild, wild west, because literally, um, you just didn't know. I mean, the person that's shaving your hair or shaving your uh, beard or your face could be the same guy that slits your throat the next day. You just didn't know. Um, and that whole sense of not knowing or not feeling, not being able to trust anybody, but the people that are wearing green next to you um, kind of drove that wedge between. Um, it, it just kind of starts that lack of not necessarily compassion, um, but that lack of humanity. So you start distancing yourself to try to, um, survive that. And like I said earlier, it, it was after a couple of months that I realized that, that I was, I was at the point where I just went through life, went through my daily, daily tasks as if I were already dead. And what that did for me is it provided me an outlet of survivability. So I didn't have to focus on dying. I didn't have to focus about all of those other things and all of those emotions that come with it. I could focus on my job at hand. Um, and you do that over and over, you do it day after day for months on end. And then all of a sudden you're pulled out of that combat situation. You're thrown at home because I was, again, I was national guard. Um, and I'm thrown into the mix of my family again, without any reintegration training, without any mental health support. And all of a sudden you're taken out of this war zone and now you're supposed to readjust within days or weeks. And we were, no one was really prepared for that. Um, and I, I think that really, I think that really was brought to light when we start seeing all of the post-traumatic stress that, that have happened from both, um, Iraq and Afghanistan, that people are experiencing a higher rate of mental health because of those situations. So the benefit of being on active duty is they have all of those facilities or all of those resources available uh, for their active duty soldiers where we weren't given that opportunity, we were just basically said, enjoy your family, you know, your home, enjoy your family, go back to work, go back to life. Um, and not actually able to give us time to decompress. Um, and it took about six to nine months after I came home from my first deployment before my wife actually realized, okay, now you're finally getting back to normal. And I didn't really realize that there was any changes, but she can tell you, um, you weren't sleeping well, you were easily, you know, woken up. Um, you're just on, you feel like you're on edge. I mean, it's been 15 years since that first deployment and I still can't cross the bridge without looking to see if there's somebody on top of it or seeing a piece of trash in the ditch and wondering if that was a roadside bomb. So you are, like I said, it's that immersion therapy where all of a sudden you're immersed in all of this to survive. And now you're plucked out of that situation. Now you're put back in your civilian life and now you have to realize that, um, that's just a bag of trash. And that person up on top of the bridge is just going for a walk. Um, but it takes a long time for you to actually take a step back and like, that, that's not normal. I can't begin to imagine what, what that's like to 
you know, be be overseas and dealing with all that and then just come home and, like you said, kind of just get thrown to the wolves in a sense and kind of have to figure out life again. But yet there's all these um, instincts that you pick up over that time that you're deployed and the mindset, how, how it, it has to change because it's about survival. And, and then that's just ingrained in you when you when you come back, if you will. Yep. Um, like I said, that, that experience kind of, it, it actually put a, it put a mentality in me that I wanted to do. I wanted to know more about medicine because as a medic, you're given a base set of tasks or base set of skills. And this is where you're, this is where you're supposed to operate within. And I felt like I didn't know enough. Um, so when I got back home, it took me, like I said, about a good six to nine months before I realized um, when I went to went back to Premier Bankard, I was still suffering from post-traumatic stress and I couldn't focus on my job. I was I felt like I was right back in junior high again where I couldn't focus. None of it made sense. Um, I didn't learn anything. I didn't feel like I was doing anything. I felt like I was just there to, to punch the clock and then leave at the end of the day. So um when I decided to go to school, I started at Lake Area Tech, and I started this uh, this path down my uh, nursing role. So um, it's been a it's been a great career, and the education that I've gotten up to this point has been great. Um, I started off with my associate degree in nursing, finished my bachelor's degree, and then last March I graduated with my master's degree in nursing. Which, you know, honestly, I was surprised. Not because I didn't put in the hard work, but because I actually was graduating with a graduate degree um, where I never thought I would ever go to college. So <laughs> and the whole, that, whole, that whole process was just um, a whirlwind. It was so much work, but it was so much reward when, you know, the whole graduation process in your, uh, in your graduate studies, they, they hood you. And once you're hooded, you become this, you're doctrined into this society and it just it, it just feels so empowering um and i felt like even though my brother was there and his wife and my mom and dad and my wife it still didn't feel like i should be here i don't feel like i did enough to earn this you know what i mean <laughs> sure but yet you were a a non-traditional student um you know by any means you had already you know started your life in a sense and been deployed and had you know a good job and so on and I mean, kudos to you because that, and something everybody should pull from because that's exceptional. I think if you're if you're that person sitting there punching the time clock and you're you're angry and you're like, oh, I don't want to do sales anymore or I don't want to go to the factory job or whatever. That there's so many opportunities out there that are available for for you. So just you know, go out there, do it, and and, and look into it. And you're a, uh, you know, even though you felt that way at that time, I mean. That's a hell of an accomplishment, man. So kudos. Yeah. It's, uh, again, I, I never thought it was possible. Um, but it, it, like I said, it took me a while to get there. Um, but once I started on that route, there were certain things that I knew I wanted to accomplish. I didn't know I was going to be an educator until people have told me, you're such a good teacher or you, you really have a knack for teaching. Um, and I love um, I love mentoring nurses. So whether it's side by side or in a classroom, I love being able to share my experience and my knowledge with others so that they can grow up and they can learn from those, the same mistakes that I made to never make those same mistakes. So I think that's kind of 
eye-opening for me. And it, it, it's such a good fit that I didn't even realize it would have been. Um, so I think that was the thing that really empowered me to, to finish that educational route. Um, and even going, so we can go back to, so when I went through nursing school, um, I finished nursing school, and then my unit was going to deploy again. So this was in 2008, I believe. So my unit was going to go to Kuwait. And I talked with my nursing instructors and they said, basically, well, you would have to start your entire course over again if you were to leave now. And of course, I didn't want to do that. So um, my only other option was to transfer to a different unit, take a promotion, and then go to Afghanistan with them the following year. Wow. So in order to successfully complete everything, um, I had to, I took a promotion. Um, I went with uh, a brigade unit in Sioux Falls and we went to Afghanistan in 2010 or 2009, sorry. And then from there, um, during that deployment, we talked about post-traumatic stress, you know, earlier and I kind of talked to you about triggers and things. Um, I didn't realize that I was really, truly struggling with post-traumatic stress until that deployment. And it was probably three to four weeks before we were supposed to come home that our base was attacked. And the glorious thing about technology and availability of cell phones in the third world country really, truly is a, is a miracle in itself. However, it can also be a hindrance because... While our gate was getting attacked, my wife, I'm on the phone to my wife talking to her um, that I was just finished breakfast and I was going to go to the office and go get some work done. And she hears the sound of gunfire and explosions. And I had to try to explain to her that, you know, I have to go. I have to go prepare to save my life and the life of others. And how do I tell my wife that when I say I have to go goodbye? It was, it was a struggle. Um, so that whole experience, obviously I went and grabbed my, grabbed my equipment and did the things that I needed to do. But um, after that event, um, I didn't sleep for three days. Wow. I couldn't, and do, did you get to talk to her like after it was over, like right after it was over at least and kind of do that thing? Or did you have to wait for a certain clearance or something like that? Or, Well, when, when something like that happens, they'll lock the base down and, Oh, what happened in that situation is the family support group, which is a group of wives and girlfriends or sisters or spouses, whatever, uh, significant others, they all get together and they kind of discuss how things are going with their soldier or their husband or their uh, family member. Um, but in doing that, they also have emergency contacts. So they, they, somebody had contacted the family support leader. And then they disseminated information out to my, to my wife and the other family members. Um, but what that caused also is additional questions. Because um, when I was talking to my wife and I got off the, when I had to, said I had to go, the first thing she did was pick up and called the family support group leader and say, hey, do you know what's going on? And she had, had no idea. So that kind of started a chain of events as well. Um, but after, so like I said, after that event, um, I didn't, I couldn't sleep for about three days. And at that point, I didn't realize that that that, that was post-traumatic stress um, until years later. Um, I just thought it was anxiety. I thought it was just being on edge from, you know, the battle. And 
it's it's just it was just one of those things where you know so this is this is normal so again i just wrote it off as well that's a normal response to a stressful situation and we're just going to move on from there so you feel like so, you had to kind of suppress that stuff like there wasn't really an avenue for you to to deal with whatever was in your your mind and feelings and that that kind of like is it a kind I of think, trapped feeling or I think I think my mentality was more focused on this is a normal event this is supposed to happen. Okay. So I think in my mind I was just downplaying it as this is nothing serious it's just normal it's no big deal. And I still kind of think of that sometimes that oh, this is just it's no big deal even though other people may look at it as Jesus how are you dealing with that amount of stress? And for me it's like eh, it's no big deal. <laughs> well, and you I know? I think it gets I don't know if downplayed is the right word but you know for Years since the 90s, everyone's used to seeing those uh, news reports where there's, you know, missiles and stuff going through the night shots. And then you always, we've seen movie after movie of, you know, Black Hawk Down and all those kinds of different things where it's almost like, okay, yeah, this is something that just happens. We don't deal with it here in our territory. So, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, people come home, it's not a big deal. So I, I think I kind of get what you're saying with that. Yeah. Um, to kind of touch on that a little bit. Um, so movies, um, movies aren't necessarily for me, a, a large, a, a trigger. I don't really get triggered by any movie or, uh, you know, nothing really brings up that feeling or that emotion, um, very often. Um, but a friend of mine and, uh, my wife went to American sniper. I don't know if you've seen it. Great movie. Yeah. Um, so the first, I went and saw that in the theater. So as I'm sitting there and the opening scenes roll up and he's sitting on top of a building, you know, and the vehicles are coming down and it's where that whole scene where that woman's on the street and he has to decide whether or not to, um, to take the shot or not. Yeah. Um, so just that opening scene, it's almost as if I could smell that environment. You know what I mean? So all of a sudden, all this emotion, all this, sensibility just came rushing back to me and I'm like, my heart just started pounding and I'm like, what is going on? So it, it was almost like I was there. And I don't mean that in the sense that I'm delusional and I was time traveling or um, moving across space. I just felt like I could smell the stale stench in the air. I could feel the heat on my face. It just all of a sudden just enveloped me into this environment again. I'm like, holy cow, that's such a powerful, powerful thing that my mind just did. So that's, uh, when you talk about videos and movies and stuff, that, that really just comes to mind. And that was the only real movie that I've, that I've watched that I've had that reaction to. So, um, I don't think I'm the only one cause the, the, the guy that was sitting next to me, the, the good friend of mine, um, uh, he kind of felt the same way. Now, no one's going to say that to each other. So, but I could, I could tell that, um, I was basically white knuckled during that whole movie. Oh wow! So, and it wasn't that it was a, it was a great movie. Um, it's just some of the environment, some of the situations. You just kind of you, you sense that you're back in that same environment. Well, yeah. Not to uh, take anything away from what you're saying, but for everyone has those those things. I think like if it's you know. Um, a, a music song, you know, that can take you back to a certain memory mm -hmm. or you smell, you know, food and you think your mom's cooking, except in your yep. instance, it, you know, that, 
that brought you right back to to that context of you being there and you could just smell it and taste it and feel it and you know so i think <laughs> our minds are extremely it, powerful <laughs> it was the most difficult feeling that i couldn't I, I i wanted to watch the movie and i didn't want to leave um but yet i just didn't know how to deal with the 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 overwhelming sense that i was you know that i was there or in in that in that presence so it was it was it was interesting to say the very least um I, and again i haven't had that situation happen to me since um and then i've i've talked to a friend of mine that's a psychologist and he basically recommended not seeing that movie again and i'm like i'm not going i'm not going to do that i love that movie i want to see it again <laughs> um so the second time i watched it um it wasn't a problem um but i could i could see myself that if I wasn't conscious about it, that I could immerse myself back in that environment. So, um, it, the mind is just such a powerful thing. Have you, uh, and maybe this is cliche, but I, I just have thought it a couple of times when you've had any, um, instances of, of that coming out, uh, the PTSD, did you, do you also have to deal with on top of all those emotions? Do you have to deal with like, where you feel embarrassed? Um, as well too, because it's, it's something you can't control or other people can't control. And I know this is different for all of them, but, um, I mean, I just feel like that'd be terrible if on top of all that, you had this sense of an, of embarrassment or, um, I don't know. It Does is. that make sense? It is. It's embarrassing because ultimately it's, it's a, it's a function of your mind that you can't control. So when we feel like we're out of control, we feel helpless and, what is the worst feeling in the world other than feeling helpless? Well, you know, and being embarrassed about it, um, about being embarrassed about feeling helpless. So, um, and again, we kind of talked about, um, mental illness and how that can kind of lead you down that path where one person's struggle, you know, doesn't necessarily equal your struggle. Um, but everybody's struggling with something. So I think ultimately it, it, it all depends on how, how people are, their own personal situation that they've dealt with. So. No, very well put. You're very articulate. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, okay. So you went through that in 09 and then you, uh, I think we were talking about, you had to call your wife and, or you ended that conversation. You didn't sleep for three days and then, uh, um, told us a bit of how, um, they have a support group that can help out with your spouses while you're overseas too, which that's really awesome. I didn't, I personally didn't know that that was out there. So I'm glad to hear at least even then, and I'm sure it's developed a little bit more even now that um, there is support group for the spouses. Cause I couldn't imagine um, a spouse being gone or me being gone. And, you know, if you have kids still here and just what's going on, you know, the day to day, you don't um, get to hear about any of that stuff. But now that we have technology, it sounds like, there's at least a little bit of um, mental solace maybe because you get to talk to him a little more than you used to, I suppose. Right. Yep. Um, and that can also be, like I said, it can be a, uh, a detriment to your well-being sometimes as well. But ultimately, um, it was a benefit that we could, we could communicate a little bit more effectively and a little bit more efficiently uh, than my previous deployment. But <clears throat> again, it, it all depends on that frame of reference. Um, is talking to your spouse every day in a war zone the best thing? Not always. Even though they always want to hear from you, sometimes it can be, it can, it can mess with your 
head a little bit because you wish you were there versus where you were at. And you know you still have to get up tomorrow and do the same job, the same crummy job. Um, but now you have to worry about being home too. So That's a very good perspective, actually. I really appreciate that because I'm just thinking – with never experiencing any of that, like, Oh, it'd be nice to just be able to talk to your spouse whenever you need to, or do a video chat. But then, yeah, in a sense it could break your, your focus or your mindset that you're there to do not even a necessarily a job if you had to label it, but you're potentially saving your life and others and, and protecting our, you know, our country to some degree or helping another country in, in those means. Yep. So uh, take us back to that story. Was there some more after you hadn't slept for three days uh, that you continued to develop more more issues then? Is that where no, you're going? Or? I, I think after that whole experience, um, I didn't recognize that as post-traumatic stress either. I'm like, I'm, I'm too tough for post-traumatic stress. No, no, it's not that big a deal. Um, I'll just go home and everything will be fine. Um, and again, we went home. We had a little bit more support this time than the previous deployment. However, it, it's still um, it's still National Guard versus the active duty. You still don't have all the resources that the Army has, but um, it was better um, to say that at least there was some support um, 30, 60, and 90 days after we came home. So at least there was that. Um, and then, so uh, my wife decided to throw me a welcome home surprise party when I got home. Uh, not necessarily on the same day that I got home, but within a short time frame. So um, one of the things that I really, um, I really don't like is that when people refer to me as a hero, it, it, it feels like it, it cheapens the word. Um, because when I think of heroes, I think of my grandpa who was in World War II and did two tours in, in uh, Korea. Uh, I think of those guys as heroes that did extraordinary things in ordinary times and here I am being called the same thing or being referred to in the same limelight um, as great men like that. And that really struck a chord. Um, not that I was mad about it, um, but I felt ashamed that someone would refer to me in that same mindset um, as great people. So during that homecoming party, you know, my brother, Chris, you know, <laughs> didn't really think of it. He was just trying to make sure that I felt like I was welcome, that I deserved a hero's welcome. And that's, that's kind of how he wanted to show everybody. Um, so on his big banner, he, he writes, welcome home, our hero, you know, Wayne hits. And I'm like, Oh man. So that night was not a good night. And, and those wasn't because I was angry or mad. It's just, it was the first time I had drank since I've been home oh. and it was, it was not a good night. So um, that was probably the last time I dealt with any anger uh when I was that highly intoxicated and, um, and, and again, it's, it's embarrassing to say that, but, um, I mean, I felt myself close to the edge and just because I didn't recognize it, I, I was creeping up to that point where I didn't recognize it was happening. Um, but again, it, it's just that it's that tipping point where one thing could have set me down this path of, um, suicidal ideation versus, Hey, you just drank too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, it really, it really was a tipping point. And, you know, thank God I had my wife there and she supports me. And, um, she's been my beacon of, of hope for many, many years. And she came, it, it was years after that. So every, that whole situation passed and it was a, you know, I wrote it off to a non-triggering event and everything was just fine. 
Um, and then as time went on, I basically understood what the PTSD was doing to me. It was, it was interfering with my ability to, to, to learn at the level that I wanted to, to, to read a book that wasn't, that wasn't necessarily the most interesting book, but um, not very interesting in the same light, but it really just messed with my mind and prevented me from doing the things or prevented me from achieving the, 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 the goal that, or the heights that I wanted to achieve. So, um, it took my wife actually coming to my appointment with me saying, um, you need to talk to him about your PTSD. And me standing there, I was like, well, I don't have PTSD. And my provider's like, Wayne. And I look at my wife, I was like, I don't have PTSD. And my wife says, you have PTSD. And then I looked at my provider and said, okay, I have PTSD. So at that point uh, was what kind of, what kind of realized for me, that was my turning point that, okay, I do have it. How can I get better? Um, So with the help of medication, some occupational help, um, some occupational therapy, some behavioral health coaching, um, all of that has kind of helped me to understand that there's no limits. I can achieve what I want to achieve. And I don't want to let a diagnosis or I don't want to let something stop me from doing what I want to do, you know, to better myself, my family, or to better the people that I interact with. So again, it it took that, that point. And I, I, I mentioned tipping points a lot because it, it borders on whether you're going to go over the edge and you're going to pick up speed and you're going to accomplish this task or you fall backwards and you backslide. So there's little tipping points in our life. And this is one of those things that just if I went to said anything, I would have backslid and everything probably would have been okay, but it would have came up again later. Um, but the fact that it was brought out to the limelight helped me to push through and to get better and to um, to be able to be a better husband, to be a better person, to be a better nurse, to be a better soldier, to be a better educator. So all of those things, I kind of relate it to that one point where I realized that, okay, I, this is where I need help. That's extremely powerful. Did did you, do you know if your, or can you recall, did your wife ever try to, to kind of mention that to you in conversation up before that point or, and you just kind of shrugged it off or was she? Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. She has, she has mentioned it several times and I shrugged it, shrugged it off because like I said, you know, it's, it's the stigma where I didn't think I had it. And two, if I, if I did admit to it, you know, what would happen to me if I, you know, what would happen to me? So I worried about those two things. And again, you know, we talk a lot when I, when you mentioned about being embarrassed, yeah, it, it's embarrassing to say, you know, I have, a, I, have a, I have an issue and I can't fix it myself. And the fact that you recognize it in me makes me feel like I'm less of a person because I can't see it. Okay. That's a really good perspective. So then I would imagine, too, once you guys had that conversation um, and uh, you accepted that fact, there was probably some sort of great relief that come across her, too, that um, some validation, like, see, hey, I've kind of been telling you or talking about it, but now she can almost go, oh, all right, this is something we can work on. So, um, Yeah, this, this great sense of relief. <laughs> so it's like maybe a, a little message there, too, is to – you know, to never give up on, you know, on your spouse or that close friend that if you do see that they're going through some trouble, you know, 
it's it's very delicate situation. You can't just every time you see him jump on him and say, "Hey, man, you got a drinking problem," or "I think you have this or that." But you yep. you just when the opportunity comes, you know, maybe you make that mention and just never give up on trying to help him in a sense. Yep, yep. I uh, I've heard a, a powerful statement that uh, about luck. So luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So the luck, you're being lucky and catching that person at the right opportunity, you know, may just save their life. I love that. Should put that in the group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna write down write it down now. Lucky opportunity quote. And I'm sure it'll pop right up. Um, so then after that profound moment in your guys' life that started to you had already been going to schooling for medical, um, so you because this was all after um, Afghanistan and everything, where you had this moment, right? Yep. So that was after. Yeah, that was after I had completed, or I think I was still working on my um, undergraduate at the time. So I was working on finishing my bachelor's degree. Um, that was before I had figured out that I wanted to go to graduate school, and um, that whole diagnosis, that whole encounter with my um, healthcare provider happened before I made that decision to go to graduate school, and I'm, I'm so thankful that I did because it really helped me to it helped me to, to grasp the gravity of everything that I had to learn and that I wanted to learn it. I didn't want to just punch the clock and check the box and move forward with my degree. I wanted to learn. I wanted to get everything I could get out of that education. So um, it really opened my eyes. And it wasn't necessarily the medication. It wasn't the fact that I came out and said it. It was just this feeling of relief that, okay, the cat's out of the bag, you know. Um, now I know how to control that cat. Um, it may not always be the most, it may not be the most polite, you know, and it may not be the most mean cat on the block, um, but there's a happy medium that, you know, I can understand that when it gets to a point where it's going to escalate, um, that I recognize that it's happening, so then I can back down a little bit. Or that I realize if I'm getting too low, that I reach out for help. Um, and again, um, asking for help is not an easy thing to do. But once you do it, once you find out that people care about you, I think that sense of empowerment comes from that statement that I need help. And somebody's saying, I can help you. Come with me. Yeah, that's awesome. Because that was one thing outside of the financial part of therapy I always struggled with was that, you know, you were if anyone found out you were going to be shamed almost for it or they would um i don't know yeah tease you about it whatever the case may be or you were a broken person then but um i always related to just in your job you know you continuously especially in the medical field and what tons of them that you always have to keep learning new things mm -hmm. and growing yourself so to me it, that it's almost like the same difference like yeah okay i'm going to therapy and maybe I'm getting validation for feelings. Maybe I'm going in and um, I had a trouble with my wife and she told me I'm wrong. And so I need to go back and handle it this certain way. It's just like, you know, continuing to evolve all the time. So I really appreciate you saying that you, um, you know, don't ever be afraid to take that hand and, and look for it. Because, you know, there might even be free options out there for, for people. So, yep. And even people that you think may not care about you, you know, it really like it's eye opening. It's just a sense of belonging that when people reach out to you and say, Hey, you know, how can I help? 
um, I think that sense of compassion really, really opens the door for further, you know, further dialogue. Yeah, I, you were kind of one of those people for me too. I was amazed at how when I kicked this whole thing off, how many people wanted to jump on board in a sense and and say, hey, if you want want to do an interview or you want to, want me to help out in any way, I mean, from down to equipment to interviews to all sorts of stuff, I had no idea. And some of the people that reached out, I I never would have went through my list of friends on Facebook and went, oh, I wonder what this person would think if I reached out to him. So, yeah, so big yeah. thank you to you for doing that for me. But, yeah, it's amazing when that starts coming your way. Yeah, and again, I really, I really relate it to being able to um, educate. I want to. I want to tell my story um, because I, I want people to learn from it, and I want people to be like to understand that even though everybody's struggling, that there's there's a way forward. There's there's light at the end of the tunnel, and it's through support. Um, if you know somebody that's struggling with mental health, or you know somebody that's struggling in any way, shape, or form, if you can help, help. If you can't help, it's understandable because financial means, family commitments, all of those things. They, they all come into play in everybody's life. But if you can help somebody, I mean, how great of, how great of an impact can you make in that person? And then that person goes out and makes the impact in the community. So it, it, it's all this, it, it, it's almost like a, a pyramid scheme or a Ponzi scheme that if one person can go out and change the life of another person, then they can change the, change the impact of the entire community. Yeah, it's like smiling is contagious, but in this right, it's, you know, offering a, a hand uh, to someone or some sort of avenue to, to assist them. And, and yeah, I think that those kind of good vibes, those positive vibes can just keep riding and riding just, just like negative ones can. You know, they um, it might be unfortunate that sometimes our news outlets or, or whatever avenue you take um, is uh, they say, oh, I hear is bad news and this and that. And maybe some of that's true, but... There are avenues like, you know, our podcast and our group. And when I go out and search on Facebook for, you know, peace this or good news that or happy this, that stuff's all out there. So you have to take a little bit of responsibility yourself and and, and find those avenues. You know, if you're feeling, whatever the context is, if you're feeling that Facebook is full of junk, well, there's a lot of stuff out there that people, I'm not the only one out there trying to change the stuff. So, um so yeah, I really like your kind of contagious um, yeah. vibe. <laughs> search, find, search for the good stuff. Find, hunt the good stuff. You know that's a that's a term straight out of military uh, resiliency. Is hunt the good stuff. Always try to find the good things. Nice, I like that. Yeah, because it's uh, I mean, it might be a blessing and a curse that we have all this technology, but you know now um, you and I can have a great conversation. And who knows over all the years this podcast is on the internet, whose lives we might change, even if it's one person. Um, or, you know, you go out on Facebook and you search for something and bam, you know, there, there's all that good stuff right out for you. But if you're just going to blankly stare at your phone and, and look through all the garbage that's out there that you're already sick of without trying to make a change, you got to have a little action in your step. Yep. So I digress. Um, get off my pedestal and let you, let you keep telling us some stories here. Oh, that's, that's about it. That's all I have for stories, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. But, uh, um, but again, um, there's a couple things that I want to highlight. Number one, um, if you're really, if you're truly struggling, if you're listening to this podcast and you're having problems, um, and you're, you just don't think anyone's listening, call your, call your healthcare provider, go to the emergency room, 
talk to somebody there. They're not going to be able to give you all of the answers, but they're going to give you the, a resource that can. Um, if you're afraid to reach that, if you're afraid to do that, reach out to a friend. Um, you maybe you'll be surprised at who's who's willing and able to help. Um, and again, if you're a veteran, there's a veterans crisis line. Um, it, the number is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. Press one, and they'll get you in touch with a live counselor twenty four hours a day. So, um, again, there are resources out there. So before you think that no one no one's listening or nobody cares, reach out for help. Give us the opportunity to save you. Thank you. Yeah, I know. Uh, we I touched on that a little bit uh, when Catherine and I did an episode a, a few three or four episodes ago, maybe and. Um, I mean, I've dealt with some of those thoughts and feelings myself and, you know, down to trying to take Lexapro for antidepressants and panic attack pills. And, um, and I'll roll this into, um, our spouses too, but, um, I've opened myself up there. I'm not, um, an expert by any means, but, um, if somebody just needs someone to talk to, they can reach out to me one way or another. And, and I'll certainly listen to what you have to say and we can get you in touch with, a a professional. But, um, aside from that, you know, every time you had told a story and you talked about a situation, you would mention your wife being there through all of this. And, um, I have to give a shout out to my wife and yours, but we've been together. I think this will be going on our 21st year and our 16th year of marriage, if I'm right. And I hope I'm not wrong. So I don't get in trouble later, but she, <laughs> she, uh, I've dealt with the depression and the alcoholism and the old traditional, I'm the man, you're the woman stuff. And, um, I can't imagine the emotional roller coaster that she's been on with me over all these years. And she's stuck by me. And now we're stuck in this house doing our own part of, <laughs> of some COVID stuff and it's going really good. So big shout out to her and, and to your wife. Cause you brought her up multiple times and, and I know she's been a huge rock for you. So it, it does take, um, you know, strong people to go through this, but stronger people to be a partner because it's so easy to just walk away and get a divorce or walk away. And what's that new term? Ghost someone now. And, yep. and uh, um, th- there's not a lot of that out there. I shouldn't say that. It seems like at times there's not a lot of that out there, but there are still, you know, partners that are, are going to stand by your side no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I, I agree completely with you. And, um, I would have known, you know, almost 21 years ago that this is where our life would lead us. If, um, if I were to make a couple of changes in my life, I don't know if I'd turn out the same or if our marriage would turn out the same or if we would be the same people we are today. So, um, I thank God for all of my struggles, um, as well as my successes. And, um, I just want to keep learning from them. So anything I can do to, to make this world or, my world even a little bit better than that's exactly what I want to try to do. Awesome. And I, this makes me chuckle. I don't know if you, did you ever watch Star Trek, the next generation by chance? Oh yes, Uh, bits and pieces of it. Not a lot of it, but okay. So, and I think everything that we do in our life, which you and I touched on this already, that you have a psychological point in your life where um, that brings a good memory or bad memory. So you either go back to it or you stay away from it, whatever the case is. But Star Trek, the next generation for me was, uh, my stepdad, him and I weren't very close. And then we got kind of close towards the end before he divorced my mom. And one of the things or two big things, uh, Dallas Cowboys fan, cause he let me stay up late for the first time ever to watch a game. And those are on <laughs> Sundays. And so now I'm stuck being a Cowboys fan for the rest of my life. But, um, 
that show too, like it taught me so many big words and so many, if you actually just break down the psychology of the show, it, it really actually, um, one of the episodes my wife and I watched was it touches a bit on transgender, but it was actually this alien race that has no gender. Um, but anyways, what I'm getting at is I just watched an episode last night and since I don't believe in coincidences, it's interesting. You brought up what you said about, um, you wouldn't want to change anything, but the, uh, the big old captain, John Luke Picard of the show, um, for anyone that's watched it, there's this alien called Q and he's about as close to God as you can get, I think. And, um, weirdly, um, a bomb goes off and, and he gets in, um, I don't know, like basically he's dead and that's who's there is that alien dressed up as God kind of and says, isn't there anything you regret in your life? And he just tells a quick story about being in the academy and he goes back to time and he's in the academy and he starts this fight and basically gets stabbed in the heart. So he's got an artificial heart. And now that he's older, he would never do any of that kind of stuff. And you find out he rigs this game for his buddy to win and that's how they get in a fight. So he, he takes them on this whole little journey and then, boom, puts them right back into the present where now he's just this kind of um, lower um, officer like a lieutenant and he's just kind of doing reports and just a mundane, you know, whatever life. And he's not mm-hmm. the, the big bad captain of the Enterprise ship. And so he ends up breaking down and, you know, saying, I, I don't want to do this, you know, bring me back. And and so then they have their big heart-to-heart talk and, um, he relives the scene how he should have and gets stabbed and gets his artificial heart. And then he goes back and boom, he's the captain. Everything's normal again. But <laughs> there's a moment there where you ponder the psychology, like, you know, yeah, you might've went through something really terrible in your life, but, um, sometimes it's what you do with it. So it might've made you a better, stronger person. Plus you can help others, you know, who have gone through that. So <laughs> that's yeah, all I'm, exactly. I'm tying Star Trek into the, to the, to the real world, but <laughs> well, there's, there's some stories to be told in that. So, yeah. So anyways, I, I just thought that was really interesting as, as I've been going through these self-help journeys and, um, books and therapy, there's so many t- things I've noticed in my life that, that pop up. So, um, you and I scheduled this a few days ago and then I watched this episode last night and then out of nowhere you say something like that. It's just weird how everything ties together in the universe. Yeah, that is weird. Uh, so, thank- like you said, not a coincidence, but there's all things happen for a reason. <laughs> That's exactly true. Uh, so, do you have any any closing remarks or anything else you want to you want to touch on or throw some good positive vibes out before we we throw her to the world? Um, the only thing I really wanted to say is I, I know we talked about this earlier that uh, um, if understand that everybody has a struggle and everybody's struggling with something. So if you can shed a little light on their day, um, it might make the difference between them um, going down a dark path or going down a good path. So um, help people out. Smile is contagious. Um, recognize that everyone's struggling and try to make try to make the, their world a little bit better. And in doing so, you're going to make your life a little bit better. Yeah. Never be afraid to take a little, a little action. You know, it's um, something I've been reading about in the last couple of weeks is, all these feelings everyone has in the world right now with what's going on and um, just in general with any problem you're facing, you do have to, you got to take a little bit of responsibility and try to make some action, but baby steps are okay. So even if it's 
sending a buddy a, a, a message like you're saying, hey, I'm just just wondering if you could chat for a second. And I know I know how scary that is to even just send a message to someone. And uh, then when it's all over and you're like, oh, wow, that was amazing. We just talked for a half hour, an hour, hours, you know, it's just you, you have to take that baby step. A little bit of action will, will create huge results in the end. Yeah, or do what do what I do and just jump in the pool and forget forget how to swim. Yeah, that's what we did with all this too. I I did it right. I think over Christmas break we started this whole group and I had it all private and was nervous and scared and vulnerable. You know, it's really scary to do that stuff. And then um, a friend of ours just said, "Do it. Make it all public and throw everything out there." And um, you know, I mean, it's not going to hurt you. So here we did it, yep. and now we're getting tons of great great feedback and you know we've had some really great guests and i don't care if i get you know the president or brad pitt or whoever the hell wants to get me on my show they can be but everyone honestly is just as important to me so i want you to know that you doing this today i really really appreciate plus you also reached out to me when i first kicked this off so you're the man appreciate you oh i appreciate you as well and again i think you're doing great things with this podcast so keep it up I've listened, like I said, I've listened to every episode, so looking forward to more. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. I, I didn't know, uh, you, you just never know cause what people are doing, and I keep seeing streams, and it doesn't say, you know, specifically who it is, but yeah, we, over all the episodes and all of the um, the streams in total were, um, a couple hours ago, it was like 1,420 total streams over everything, which I, I think yeah. that's awesome. That's remarkable. And again, it just goes out to your, you know, it's what you're doing. You're helping to change. You're helping to change the world one, one podcast at a time. That's right. And I keep forgetting, you know, to me, it's like live and we're doing it now. But um, I listened to a, a podcast that was recorded three years ago. I mean, just think of how much stuff has changed in three years. So someone might listen to this four or five years from now and, and uh, you know, get something out of it. So I got to keep remembering that these are, in a sense, infinite, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, once they're on the internet they're forever right yeah so and i haven't gotten any bad feedback per se so i think we're we're doing good things yep i think you are as well thank you okay well um i'll do the little outro and um you know we can chat for a second when i'm when we're done and then uh um maybe we can even do a follow-up once you uh are sending all these fun people out into the medical profession now that you're a lecturer Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> cool. All right. We'll spin <laughs> on some context. So thank you, Wayne. I appreciate you. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to Positively Midwest. We're doing our best to spread the positive vibes and education and engage people's thoughts and um, just just be a group. So go ahead and join our Facebook group, Positively Midwest. We got the regular liked page because it was the only way I could link up the website. Check us out at PositivelyMidwest.com. We're on all major platforms with your uh, um, Apple podcast. The SoundCloud is our host. Uh, we're on Spotify. We're on iTunes, iHeartRadio. You can just go right to our website and stream it too. So thank you to everybody. If you do check it out, feel free to screenshot it and share it on your Instagram or your um, Snapchat or whatever social media platform you use. Uh, go ahead and screenshot it and show people what we do here. And uh, just uh, thank everybody for um coming in and listening and now as we always do john go ahead and take us out there be the peace i need the peace i need to keep this soul